episode 91 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Cheryl Cage, and I'm the founder of Cage Consulting, which is now Cage Marshall Consulting, and we do pilot interview prep. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Now, this episode is specifically for the pilot that wants to land that major airline job or that regional airline job or just the job of their dreams. This episode is with Cheryl Cage from Cage Marshall Consulting, and they help pilots like you get ready for those interviews. Now, interview prep can be very daunting. It can be very hard, especially when you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to prepare. You don't know what to expect. So why not spend the $700 or $500, whatever the price is, for this investment to get your career right, to get the job of your dreams? And think about this return on investment. You spend $700 now, that can turn into millions down the road. A lot of aviators have used this in the past and have had glowing reviews. So I highly recommend you listen to this with an open mind and consider checking out K. Marshall Consulting, as this is some really cool stuff that we're going to be talking about with Cheryl. Now, if you like today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Also want to give a shout out to our Patreon of the Week, Ernie Harris. Shout out to Ernie for being the Patreon of the Week. If you would like to be the Patreon of the Week, head to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot. Thanks for all the support there. We also have some pretty cool stickers and t-shirts and swag out there as well. So go ahead and check it out. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. I hope you enjoy this episode. So without any further ado, here's Cheryl Cage. Cheryl, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to have you on. This is kind of a cool interview. I've never done an interview like this before. I've never talked to someone about consulting, talked about interviewing, and it's such an important part to a pilot or just in the aviation industry is to interview well and make sure you have kind of all your ducks in a row to get that dream job you want. Correct. It is. Absolutely. Which is why we've been around for 31 years. That's amazing. And it, it, you can tell because I've, I've talked to people that have used your services before and they've been very happy. But um, I kind of want to just uh, dig in and get started. I want to know about the beginning. I want to know why. I want to know just like, why did you even want to start this company? What's the story behind Cage Marshall Consulting? When I graduated from college, I had my uh, degree in psychology, which basically gets you nothing. But my desire was to go into airline management. So I interviewed with the airlines. I became a flight attendant for Braniff International. I'm sure many people have heard that name or maybe haven't. Uh, We were the first major airline to go bankrupt. So that was interesting, but that's a whole nother story. Um, After Braniff went under. I went into sales and marketing in another industry for a while, and I discovered that because I had made the transition fairly easily from aviation into another job, I had a lot of people asking me for advice. And uh, so I kind of started this little, what I call a kitchen table business, where I'd sit down with a lot of my flight attendant friends and 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 help them transition into something else, um, and then. I really wanted, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so as I received more requests, I thought, you know, I, I think that there's there's a market for this. And, I, you know, I enjoy doing it because it's it's really fun to help people reach reach their goals. So I 
kind of started a basic job search resume writing service. Um, and I did that for a while. And then all, you know, Eastern went under, uh, Pan Am went under, and uh, my husband had, was working was, worked for United Airlines for 35 years as a pilot. So we had a lot of aviation friends. And uh, many of the Eastern pilots that we knew in the Denver area were getting preferential interviews with other airlines. And dinner parties and, and little outings and things, uh, they were excited about this, the interviewing process, but I really sensed that they didn't understand what the interview was going to be. I think it was still more, I've got 10,000 hours, why would you not hire me? And sadly, none of these people were successful the first time they went in for an interview. Um, so I reached out to about seven or eight of them and said, you know, let's, let's do some, some interview prep. You know, I won't charge you for this. Uh, and we sat down and, and I taught them what I knew. Uh, and the great thing was, is that they all got jobs within the next year. And they were very surprised at what they didn't know about the process. So long story short, I started reaching out to other pilots. Um, of course, you know, there were a lot of bankruptcies during that time because I started in 1988. And uh, I put together my interview prep program in what I thought was a pretty good form, and I presented it to ALPA. And so I started doing all the ALPA workshops, the Displaced Pilot ALPA workshops, probably around 92, 93. And then in 1994, I wrote the book Checklist for Success because I was, I was getting so busy that uh, a lot of the information that I had to present to my clients before we could even get into the nitty gritty of their interview prep, uh, you know, was taking four hours for me to deliver the same information. So that's why I sat down and wrote the book. Um, and that's really, that's really how it, it blossomed. I mean, I was fortunate enough to, to see a niche, uh, enjoy that niche. And, um, you know, it's been 31 years. Yeah. Let's say, so I got a question. Let's say Brand of Airlines is still operating today never went out of business. You never were kind of faced with this, the crossroads of applying to new jobs, getting new jobs and figuring out that you kind of had a, a skill in this. Do you think this would ever have come to, or do you think you would have stayed as a flight attendant the whole time? I would not have stayed as a flight attendant. No, uh, no. I mean, it's, a, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting job and it's a fun job, but it was, uh, not really something that I saw myself long term. Now, I, I think I might have gone into, I would have pursued the airline management part, and I definitely have seen myself uh, in that capacity. Uh, but I also, I have to say, I really like working for myself. Um, I like the fact that if I make a mistake, it's all me. But if I'm successful, it's all me. All on you. <laughs> all on me. Which is exactly. terrifying and equally as gratifying when it goes well. Yeah, yeah. I, I am really, 
interestingly, a risk taker. I mean, not like jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that, but but I'm okay with um, trying something new. And I think that that's why we've also adjusted so well to the changing industry. I mean, we were one of the first that did um, um, videos and DVDs. Uh, I started the small cage consulting publishing part of the company where we did, uh, I, I sat down and thought about the kinds of books that my, my pilot clients needed. Um, this is where uh, I hired Ron McElroy to do airline pilot interviews and the mental math for pilots, which is still selling very well today. Um, Checklist for success has been updated probably five or six times. Uh, it's still it sells as well today as it did in 1994. And I think, again, the fact that, that I'm, I'm always looking kind of for the next adventure, uh, we've been able to keep our services, um, our approach, the way we teach our clients really fresh and uh, as stress-free as possible. Yeah, it's good because, I mean, like you kind of said earlier, everyone's kind of like, I have 10,000 hours. Why don't you hire me? And now there's so many kind of questions, formats, stuff that you have to do. And it can be a very stressful situation, especially since you don't know if you mess this up, if you'll get another opportunity, you know, you get those emails and then if you don't have everything they need at that right time, then you don't know when Delta United American Southwest are going to check that or you're going to go off on their radar again. So you need to be prepared for when you get that email and need to be ready to go. Well, it's interesting too. Um, when, when we look back at our client base, um, it's interesting to me how many incredibly successful people we've had who have come to do interview prep with us. People that you would think that there's no reason in the world that they would need interview prep. And I mean, uh, like several years ago, we did the whole uh, Blue Angel Squadron. Um, we've done generals. We've done, you know, chief pilots for uh, larger regional carriers. We've done I, I just a myriad of really successful people uh, within aviation. But the, but the interesting thing is, is that when you think about it, um, the reason they're so successful is because they prepare. And so they're not assuming that they know how to interview. And they go out and they look for the knowledge. So it's, um, I find that really, I find that really interesting. And it's, and it's a point that I make when, when people say, well, you know, I've, I've list, listed all the questions and I kind of know what I want to say. I don't really need to do interview prep. And, and some people don't, I mean, but the point is, is that why wouldn't you? It's, it's less stressful when you walk in there when you know what it is to expect. I mean, that's true in any kind of a situation, but especially when you're looking at a job that, you know, could pay you millions of dollars over the course of your lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like, you kind of think of it, what, what, what is the current pricing for it? If you don't mind me asking this way and kind of get my point across what I wanted to say. Well, it's interesting that you asked me that because we are right in the middle of redoing our service format. As I said before, one of the reasons that I wrote Checklist for Success was because 
I couldn't physically deliver the basic information to my clients. Um, I didn't have four initial hours to spend with everyone, basically just feeding them facts. So what we're dis- what we've discovered over the last year, Angie and I is uh, Angie Marshall, the president of Cage Consulting, who was my first employee back in 1992. And so now she runs the company. Um, So we realized that reading the books is, is really important. And that's one of the first steps that we ask our clients uh, to do is to read checklists for success and, and reporting clear. And that's included in, in your services. Um, But a lot of people, there's a lot of information in checklist And so what I wanted to do was to pull out some of the really highlights of interview prep and deliver that to them before they sit down with their consultant. So we're doing a series of uh, on-demand videos. Uh, There's four in the series. And I have pulled out kind of the, the highlights of how to think about your stories, how to, how to, um, prepare yourself to be really present in the interview. And so we're going to ask our clients now to peruse the books, read them if they can, but before they have their first interview prep one-on-one with their consultant, um, they're, we're requesting that they look at these videos. Um, and they're not long. Uh, the four videos, I think the longest one is maybe 20 minutes. Uh, but I think that's really going to make a difference for them when they sit down with their consultant. And then we're also instituting within the next month or so, uh, every week we'll have a live Q&A with our current clients. And that will be hosted by either Angie or I. And then we're also doing, uh, making available our kind of library of FAQs. Uh, so that people can, you know, if they wake up at two o'clock in the morning and they think, oh my gosh, what about this? Um, There's going to be a little seed of an answer for them until they can talk to their consultant. So we're we're adding a lot of uh, kind of extra stuff, but it's going to make the whole process a lot easier for our clients. And we are looking at the, the pricing structure right now but as it stands, the way we do it now, it's around $700 uh, for our interview prep package that probably will be going up some, but uh, it's such an investment. Um, and the service that we provide is really personalized, um, calming, if you will. And again, it's it's so wonderful to go into a big day like an interview knowing that you're prepared. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, the initial $700 that you spend is is an investment into your future and it's investment into the job of your dreams, especially when you're getting into major airlines and kind of the type of money that you can make with a major airline. When you look back on your career at age 65 when you're retiring and you see it was only $700 investment for you to feel prepared enough to get a job that'll make you million dollars, millions of dollars over your lifetime. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, you kind of laugh about it in the future, but I mean, $700 is a lot of money to a lot of people. So, I mean, it's definitely, but it's definitely worth it. 
Certainly it is. And again, um, just to be clear, the 700 is what we, we charge uh, for our old services. I don't know what it's going to be in the future. Right. Absolutely. And as things change and, you know, products change, things go up, go down, whatever yes. it might be. So totally it won't be that much more, but, but you know how yeah. life goes. How have you seen, uh, let's see, how have you seen kind of airlines in the interview process change in your 31 career of doing this? Um, I really think that the biggest change came with the institution of, of cockpit resource management training. Um, that was a huge leap uh, and one that caught, you know, the Pan Am and the Eastern and the Braniff pilots uh, right in the middle because there was that transition into behavior-based interviewing. Uh, interestingly, uh, the process is probably 90% the same, meaning, you know, they ask you behavior-based questions, tell me about a time questions, what would you do if questions. They're still looking to learn about how you handle yourself in the cockpit, uh, you know, in the crew room, at the hotel, you know, are you going to be a positive influence uh, as an employee? I mean, obviously, they've always been interested in the in the technical skills. And that's something that they're pretty good at figuring out, looking at, you know, past training and uh, upgrades and all these kinds of things. But, you know, they're doing... Uh, pretty much the same thing that they've been doing for the, you know, for the last 20 years. Um, they certainly do a lot more, uh, you know, chair flying, if you will, scenarios, uh, you know, giving you a scenario and having you walk them through how you would handle that. Um, but the kind of the philosophy behind it is still the same. You know, you can, you can, uh, and, and this might be a good story to, to explain this. Um, I had, when I first started, I had these two clients in one day. Um, and I was looking at their paperwork. And one of the individuals, and this was a long time ago, so they were still asking about things like parking tickets and that kind of thing. Um, one of my clients had two parking tickets. And that was like the biggest thing on his application. And then my other client had an FAA violation. And I started my day thinking, oh, well, you know, the parking ticket thing probably won't be a big deal. Uh, the FAA violation is going to be a bigger deal. And by the end of the day, after I'd met with them, I completely changed my opinion. The individual who had the FAA violation was so prepared to talk about what had happened. He provided all the paperwork. He concisely walked me through what happened, the mistake that he made. And he also talked at great length about, you know, what he learned from it uh, and kind of resolved it for me. You know, this is, this is the letter that I received from the FAA and, you know, the end. The other client 
I think we talked for 15 minutes about how stupid it was that there was a parking sign, a no parking sign in the place that this guy parked. And I was like, man, I wouldn't want this guy as my employee because if he can't see his mistakes, that means that he's making them over and over again. Yeah. So, so they're really looking for, you know, that individual that has great technical skills, but also has, has a great kind of a personality skills, if you will. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs to be an extrovert and a, a great joke teller and that kind of thing. But, but they do have to be someone that others are comfortable being around, want to be around, want to work around, someone who, who sees little problems and takes care of them before they become big deals. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of different personality types that have those attributes. So it's, uh, it's okay to be yourself, but you just want to be the kind of person that you'd want to work with. Yeah. Whenever people kind of ask me, I mean, obviously I'm not qualified to give any interview help or anything like that, but whenever people ask me like, Hey, like, what should I do? What should I prepare? Is like, just be yourself. Like, I know that's like a very vague answer and like a very generic answer, but like, they're just looking to see if they can survive a four day trip with you. They want to have a good person that they know is going to be able to follow the rules, the SOPs that they have, that's going to be able to own up to their mistakes, that's not going to hide anything or lie anything because they want to know that you can react in, to certain situations and know what you're doing and know why it's happening, know why it was wrong because they don't care if you have mistakes. Everyone has mistakes. No one is perfect. No one is really going to have that perfect record. And if you do, they might not want you because some, that might be a red flag that something's wrong, right? So. They want to see that you can change. They want to see that you can identify your mistakes and they just want you to own up to them, I'm guessing. Just not lie about them and kind of disclose everything on that application. Well, and and it's interesting because when someone says be yourself, it's amazing how many people don't know who they are. And and this is one of the, the struggles with behavior-based interviewing. So if I were to say to someone you know who wasn't prepared... Um, you know, tell me about a mistake you've made in the cockpit. Well, if I'm not prepared, what's the first thing that's going to pop into my mind? It's going to be the worst mistake I've ever made in the cockpit. And so what you're doing is you're giving your normal pattern of behavior as something really awful. When in fact, you know, that worst mistake that you've ever made is not how you handle yourself on a daily basis. So one of the, the, the real guts of our program is the self-evaluation worksheet. And what I strive to do by developing this was to make people sit down and think about how do I make decisions and how have I gotten to the point where these are the steps that I use to make decisions now. Um, how do I lead? Uh, you know, how do I communicate with people so that, you know, I don't blow little misunderstandings out of proportion? And, and these are the kinds of questions that we don't often sit and think about. Um, and so if you sit down and you think about all the way from, you know, high school to this morning and you think about, gosh, what kind of successes have I had in decision making and leadership and 
being a part of a team. What mistakes have I made? How have I improved? Um, then when you get into the interview and they say, tell me about a, a conflict you had with a captain, um, you're, because you've done your self-evaluation and you've gone back and you've thought about all the people that you've worked with, you're going to have a whole basket of stories that you're going to be able to tell the interviewer that's going to allow them to see you in action. So, for instance, instead of going in and they say, you know, what would you do if you saw your captain uh, having an argument with a passenger or, you know, and you can see an argument is developing. A lot of people say, well, I would handle it diplomatically. Well, honestly, I don't know what that means. But if you say, well, the first thing I do is I probably go up to the captain and put my my hand on his back and say, Captain, I need to chat with you about the flight in order to pull him away from that situation. That proves diplomacy. So those are the kinds of things that just don't pop up into your mind. You have to think about them. You have to think about all those mistakes. And this is not difficult to do, but it's time consuming. So the biggest problem that we have is when people don't give themselves give themselves enough time to prepare for the interview. It's really hard to prepare for an interview in two days. Because what we're going to do is we're going to show you where you need to improve. But what that does is it makes the person panic. So, you know, I always say that that the longer you have to think about your interview, the better you're going to get at interviewing. This is a skill that you can develop. And it's not like cramming for an exam. You know, oh, my God, I've got to know these 10 answers. And if I don't you know, cram the night before, I'm not going to be able to remember them. No, this is really a thought process. If you if if how you handle decisions and conflicts and all these kinds of things is not clear to you, it is not going to be clear to the interviewer. And if it's not clear to them, then they're going to be sitting there going, I'm just not comfortable making a positive decision on this. So that's why this process is so interesting. And again, it's not difficult, but it is time consuming. You brought up how you can't really prepare the way you should prepare in two days. Is there a specific amount of time that you recommend someone start with the preparation? You know, if it were me, the second I started thinking about how I was getting ready to interview, or maybe even if, you know, I've been at a regional for a year and I maybe think I'm going to give myself another six months or a year and then I'm going to start applying, uh, I'd start I'd start the interview prep. I'd read checklists. I'd read uh, reporting clear, which is uh, which helps you go back and do all of your background information because you have to be an expert on yourself when you go in there. Uh, the second you hesitate or don't know about, oh, did you fail a check ride or why did you get this grade in college or why did you not upgrade here, blah, 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 blah. It, it, it just doesn't, you're not being your own best friend in the interview. So again, it takes some time. 
I would love it if all of our clients would have a minimum of, you know, three months to prepare. Uh, A lot of our military pilots, you know, start a year out because they have they have a little bit more of a learning curve, because if you've been in the military and you're making a transition into civilian, you know, you got to it's like a, a whole new world in a way. Yeah. So, and in fact, we are, we are putting together with uh, three retired military pilots, a book about surviving your, your first year uh, in civilian aviation that's written specifically for uh, retiring military. That's great. Yeah. I mean, the more information you can have about, cause every pilot's different, right? Like you come from military, you come from civilian, like you all have, everyone has a different story. And everyone has different strengths and different weaknesses. So the more information that you can have at your fingertips to prepare for an interview such like this, that's the better. So more information is just great. Absolutely. Absolutely. So obviously you mentioned something about regional pilots preparing for major airlines and stuff like that, or the next airline they want to go to. Do you normally, is would you say your typical clientele is applying for the Delta United American Southwest jobs, or does it start as soon as the regional jobs? Yeah, it's uh, we get a lot of people that are you know coming off of long term flight instructor jobs, looking for uh, regional or cargo, something like that. So it really it really is, uh, you know, the flight instructor to a regional, uh, regional to majors, and military to majors, and sometimes to regionals. I mean, sometimes militaries, you know, you have to go to regional depending depending on what the industry is like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. What was I going to ask? I just had a question. I blanked. <laughs> um, what would you say? Actually, I'll ask this one. We talked about, tell me about a time questions. Have they mm-hmm. always been a process for the airlines to ask these questions or did they, is there like a specific reason behind them having to tell me about a time questions? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the reason that I developed the self-evaluation worksheet because what they're asking, you know, past performance denotes future performance. So if I can see how you handled yourself in the past, I'm going to have a comfort level with how you're going to handle yourself in the future. So that's why the tell me about a time questions need to be examples that show you in action. And, and I use I use an example that I had in my own career, even though it's not aviation, but I think it makes a, 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 the point. A lot of times you'll get negative questions, you know, like, tell me about a time you failed as a leader. Tell me about the biggest mistake that you've made that taught you a good lesson. And in my situation, uh, when I was a brand new business owner, I hired a woman to be our operations manager. So she was really the kind of front desk person, scheduling clients, that kind of thing. And she was fabulous. Um, you know, clients loved her. Uh, it was really great. The problem was, is that she was also very, very sensitive. And so it was becoming an issue in the office with other employees uh, it was kind of like if if I, as her boss, closed my office door, she would think I was mad at her. I mean, we've all known people like this. And I said to my newly 
business owner self, it's worth it to put up with that stuff because she's so good with the clients. And tell, I mean, this is embarrassing for me to say this, but about 18 months later, we had just a day where it blew up in my face. And, um, you know, I didn't handle myself well. She started crying and quit. And she walked out of the office and I was like, oh, my God, that was all my fault. I mean, I have hurt this woman's feelings. I feel terrible about this. And leaving leaving her aside and, and how we patch things up, from that day forward, I realized that it was my responsibility to point out the elephant in the room. If I was going to own a business, if I was going to have employees that wanted to stay with my business, then I needed to lead in a positive and loving way, if you will. And so from from that day on, you know, if there's if there's tension anywhere, I sit down, I have some coffee, we talk about it, and we come up with a solution. If I had done that with this woman, she'd probably still be working for me. Right. So for the tell me about a time in that situation, you would have answered that with you identify the problem and how you would have improved that situation in the past? Yes. Okay. How would you, so say if I asked you that same question, how would you have answered it? Tell me about a time with me phrasing that question to you about that situation. Uh, pretty much the way I just delivered it to you. Uh, I set up the scenario. I was new. She was one of my first employees. Uh, she was great at her job, but, and so then I showed you the problem. And then I clearly described the mistake I made and then how I took the lessons and have improved. So one of the tips that that people can do is that, and again, this is why it's so important to go back into the self-evaluation worksheet, because when you think about people that you've worked with, and that's a great way to come up with your stories, you know, what happens if I worked with flight instructors? Uh, students, um, you're going to remember situations that you had, and you're going to be able to place yourself back in that situation, almost visualizing it again. And then when you can visualize it, you can walk me through it in a chronological manner, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Where do you think people go wrong with the tell me about a time questions? Do they try to focus on on the problem too much and not the solution? Or do they not have their facts straight and kind of stumble on the story? Yeah, they don't have their facts straight. They haven't done they haven't done the correct preparation. Uh, you know, a lot of people get into an interview and you know, they think, okay, I know, I know what I'm gonna say for this. And then they get in and they go, well, let's look back at the question that tell me about a time when I, you failed as a leader and say, I'm going to tell you this story about uh, my employee. A lot of people would say, oh, I did a terrible thing and I feel really bad about it. But man, I learned a lot. I'm like, what are you talking about? So that's why you have to do that beginning, middle and an end. You start at the beginning. Um I equate it to, you know, when you're, you're angry with someone and you're, you're thinking, I'm going to talk to that person and you 
in your mind, you think about what you're going to say, but you don't really practice it. You just kind of know what you want to say. And then you get in front of that person and you open your mouth and it comes out all wrong. Yeah. That's kind of the same thing that happens in an interview. And that's why it's so powerful to sit down with someone that you don't know and that doesn't know you and do a mock interview. Right. Agreed. Do you think, obviously, I mean, I'm not saying that like people do this quite often or whatever, but is it easy for an airline or the person interviewing to tell when you're fibbing or lying about something? Because maybe they're trying, that is, okay. What? It absolutely is because okay. uh, number one, aviation is an incredibly small world. <laughs> you got that right. And one of the things that I tell my clients all the time is, is that I know you're going to talk to people. I know you're going to ask about what responses they gave in, you know, for certain questions. But I really encourage our clients to do the self-evaluation worksheet first so that they understand that they have lots to talk about that's applicable in their own background. They don't need to use anyone else's story. And a lot of times people will go, oh, yeah, my friend told me about this. That kind of happened to me. You know, and if you didn't, it's, you know, what's that saying? It's really confusing to tell lies because you have to keep everything straight it's the same thing with your stories if it didn't happen to you yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you start saying random stuff like that doesn't make sense yeah yeah that's really funny that's not what happened wait a minute what did happen that's funny would you say that's one of the biggest reasons for not doing well in an interview is not knowing kind of what we talked about earlier is who you are and how to answer these questions and how to prepare? Or is there more of a specific thing that people just go in and they always stumble on that one question or maybe their technical ability isn't to where it needs to be? Well, I always tell clients that we need to put the technical and the HR completely separately because I can help you you know, be your very best self in the HR part of the interview. But if you don't have the technical skills, you're not going to get hired. So um, we put that kind of aside. But again, there, there, this is a skill you can learn. You can learn how to talk about yourself. You can learn to deliver a response in a concise manner. You can learn all this. And you know, interviewers, if, if you're getting a call for an interview to be an airline pilot, you know, whether it's a regional or a, a major, they want to hire you. They see something in you that is pleasing to them. So they're not going to waste their time interviewing people that don't have what they believe it takes. So you can stumble you know, you can mess up your stories, you can, you know, make a mistake. But if you, if you accept that, and you recover, well, um, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt where they, where they will not give you the benefit of the doubt. And this happens a lot is that when people sit down to do their applications, they don't take the time to do them correctly. And one of the mistakes that people make is that they'll, they'll pull out their Delta, their Southwest, their United application, and they'll do them all at the same time. Well, you're going to get confused. 
and you're going to do the flight time wrong. You know, you're going to read directions for American and then, you know, go fill out the United one and do the, the flight time wrong. I mean, you, you really have to do your homework. And if you don't do your homework, you're going to get an F. <laughs> and that F, what you're talking about, is not as forgivable as say you mess something up in the interview and they give you a chance to kind of to get that back, to get that trust back, to get that um, the, where they want to hire you back, that feeling back. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that if you go in there and you stumble on a couple of questions, but it, it, you're not going to lose a job just based on that. You're going to lose a job. If your application's wrong, if you go in there and you can't come up with any answers, uh, if you go in there and every question they ask you, you know, tell me about a mistake you've made, tell me about a time when someone critiqued you, uh, and if you can't come up with responses or situations uh, where you had that experience, because we've all had it, they're going to be like, what? Well, you're not being truthful with us. When they ask us, tell me about a time questions, do they want every answer to be related to aviation or can it be any kind of experience you've had in your life? So say if like you're an athlete and you had a story from your, your time as being an athlete or maybe a previous job that wasn't in aviation or do they just want strictly aviation answers? Um, you have to listen to the question. But I would say that 90% of the time I want you to have, well, 100% of the time for every question, I'd like you to go in with an aviation example in your back pocket. But you absolutely, if you do volunteer work and they say, tell me about a time that, you know, you really were a part of a team and you helped this team reach a goal. Well, if you, you know, if you did volunteer work, then go there. Uh, if you so, so, but the point is, the major point is, is that you want them to see you in action in the job that they're hiring you for. So, you know, and that involves not only sitting in the cockpit, but being in the galley, being in the cap, in the cabin, being in the crew lounge, being at the hotel. Uh, you know, those are all kinds of applicable examples of you being a pilot yeah no i agree i I mean yeah obviously it's good to to show them that you in my mind it's good to show them that you can do things outside of aviation too so if you can have a good consistency and if you can add maybe one or two stories outside aviation to show that you're involved or just to to further their opinion of you and know that you're more than a pilot and that you can offer a lot well and you know going back to the question that you asked me at the beginning how how I've seen the changes I would say that that they are maybe a little bit more interested in the things that you're doing outside of aviation but you want to be careful if they specifically ask it to be aviation and you have an example that you want to use from your volunteer work you're not the one that's leading the interview so you need to give them what they're asking for. There's a reason that they're asking for that. So first is to understand the question and understand the type of answer that they want. Don't just come in thinking that you can just say, you, like you said, you have to understand what they're asking. If you give an answer to a question that they, they're an answer that they don't want and you don't answer the question, then kind of leaves them with a bad taste in their mouth. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, even though the example might really show you in a great light, you're going to lose it because they're like, I didn't ask you that. Yeah, you're like, what does that have anything to do with this? What Congratulations. Yeah. With anything. <laughs> That's yes. really funny. What do you, this is kind of off, to, off subject of that, but what do you say to someone? Every, I mean, almost every single applicant kind of has that embarrassing part that they never want to put on an application. Maybe it's a failed check ride. Maybe it's multiple failed check rides. Maybe it's a DUI, parking tickets, red light tickets, whatever it may be. What do you say to someone about making sure you disclose absolutely everything on your application and why? You can recover from almost anything. You can't recover from lying. Okay. That's a good point. Uh, you can recover from che- failed check rides. You, you know, like my client, uh, you can recover from an FAA violation. You can recover from, you know, failing upgrade training. You can recover from a lot of stuff. You, c- you cannot, absolutely, you cannot recover from lying, period. I would agree. hundred percent agree. So yeah. So even though it might be hard, it's very important to to disclose everything you absolutely know about yourself on that application, because I'm guessing eventually when they do their homework, they're more than likely going to find out the truth. Uh, I, <laughs> I honestly cannot think, you know, never say never, but I honestly can't think of any client that, that had something really awful in their background that wasn't uncovered. And, you know, I, I tell them, I tell a lot of my clients that story about the two parking ticket guy and the, and the FAA violation guy. And it seems to comfort them. What do you say to the, the pilot that we kind of talked about? Maybe that perfect pilot that's 23 years old, has 10,000 hours and flew a 767, has everything that the airline wants. What do you say to him when he is is reading about this or listening to this podcast? He's like, I don't need that. That's for pilots have had mistakes or don't know what to interview. How do you kind of uh, go after that clientele? How do you convince them or even just tell them, hey, this is a good product for you as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, number one, someone who would actually think that is going to have to fail once. And then they'll come back for interview prep. And I would say that probably, uh, you know, a certain percentage of our clientele come to us after they've failed an interview. And it's pretty easy to figure out why they failed if they're honest with us when we do the critique, when they tell us about their interview. But I would say also that 90 to 95% of those people go on to get a job. So that tells you that, you know, unless you've murdered someone or something, if you've made a mistake and you can show improvement, um, you can, you can clean this up. That's good. Yeah. It's really, it's really wonderful to meet someone who's incredibly successful, but also understands that they're human. You know, someone who's, who's 23 and has a, a great background who says, oh, I don't need this. Well, they just need to learn to grow up a little bit. And <laughs> Maybe that's what they need to learn from yeah, you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's time to put the big boy pants on or big girl pants yeah. on, right? Yeah. Or girl. Yeah. Oh, especially big girl pants on. Yeah. Got to. Right. 
It's, it's important. And I think everyone kind of kind of goes through that in their aviation career, whether you're a guy or a girl, you know, you kind of think you're on top of the world and then something is going to happen to humble you and you need to learn how to, how to combat that. You need to learn how to handle that adversity. And that story is what's going to make that airline probably want you more because you've been faced with adversity and you've come through and you've done well and you were able to become a better person, better pilot, better friend, better spouse, better whatever it is. And that's what they want to know. It's it's true. You know, I had an experience when I first started this company. Uh, the first time that I I did a couple of small seminars for Alpa, you know, maybe five or ten people in there. But then one day, an airline went under, and they had me come to Chicago to do a two hour presentation for four hundred pilots, and I had never ever done anything like that before. And I don't know what made me think that I wouldn't do something like that because I had this Alpa contract. I got up there and I just bombed. And to make it worse, they videotaped me. (laughs) You're like, great. I was like, oh my God. I mean, that flight home was so awful. I'm like, I will never, ever be able, they're going to fire me. Long story short, because my information was so good and organized, they gave me another chance. But honestly, I had to sit and watch that tape. It was the most painful thing I've ever done. But if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't stumbled and failed and went, "Uh uh-uh, this is not going to stop me, then I wouldn't be here 31 years later. So, you know, adversity and failure is is part of the whole process. But if you can say, okay, I failed. What do I do to fix it? And you reach out and you get the help that you need. You know, 99% of the time you're going to be successful. Yeah, I agree. What um here's a question I don't know if you know off the top of your head, maybe you can give me kind of a guesstimate, but is there a percentage of the amount of people who go through Cage Marshall Consulting that actually get the job? Or is it kind of, I don't know if it's 100%, 90%. I know it's all dependent on who that person is. I know you don't guarantee that they get hired, but this is right. just to help them get hired. But do you have that off the top of your head, what, what that might be? Well, the statistic that we that we give is the one where the percentage of people who come to us after they've failed an interview is about 95%. Um, But I will tell you that we have a very high success rate. I'd have to ask Angie what that is. Um, The people that fail, it has to do with something kind of egregious in their background that just can't be overlooked. Uh, It has to do with not being prepared, meaning your paperwork's a mess. Um, you have not prepared yourself to answer questions, we can usually figure out why someone didn't get the job. Uh, And then we also have to look at the technical part of it. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, stumble with that. And then also the, um, you know, the psychological testing. But again, I think it's telling that 
people that come to us after they've failed shows that you can learn and get better. Yeah. I would agree. Have any airlines ever reach out to you, like kind of not necessarily partnering with you guys, but letting you know, like, hey, we really, we really like when we see a candidate come from Cage Marshall Consulting, or do they not really have any idea that you guys are in the background kind of doing this? Oh, no, they know. They know <laughs> yeah. what everybody's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But I think, you know, I think um, one of the interesting things is, is that years ago, uh, when we, we'd probably been in business for 10, 15 years or so. Um, we had a major airline come to us and ask us to do all their background checks. So we did that for probably, well, we did the, we did the contact for, for a year. And uh, I just, it was just not what we wanted to do. But I felt really good about the fact that they trusted us enough to come and ask us to be a part of their kind of interview team, if you will. Um, I used to also do a lot of training for airlines, smaller airlines on how to interview. Uh, You know, I would train their interviewers. But yes, we get lots and lots of recommendations from interviewers at different airlines. Um, It's interesting, you know, a lot of people think that this is an easy way to, you know, make money on the side. You know, I'll start doing interview prep uh, because I'm a pilot or because, you know, I used to interview pilots or something like that. And I've just seen so many people come and go over 31 years. uh, And, you know, we just keep our head down and do our work and continue to improve. Um, you know, competition only makes us stronger. And I, and I really, I mean, I understand the responsibility of helping someone prepare for a job. I mean, this is not something that any of us take lightly or get irritated or are like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to, you know, I, I've had it with this guy or this gal or whatever. No, this is really important stuff. Um, and and having gone through the bankruptcy of Braniff, um, having gone through, and you're probably too young to understand this, but the, the strike that the United Pilots went uh, on in 1985 to fight against the B scale, seeing so many of our friends with Continental, with Eastern, with Pan Am, and the struggles that they went through when they lost their jobs makes me really understand how important this is. And it's not just in aviation. It's in any career field. But this just happens to be my field. Um, and I feel really good about the people that we've helped get back on their feet through our work. Um, you know, especially those those initial pilots that I reached out to and I said, I, you know, I'm so sorry that you went through this. Let's see if we can fix it. You're helping them achieve their goal. And that's got to be pretty, pretty nice to see when when you guys can share that victory together. Yeah, it is. It's cool. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned a lot of the history that's happened in aviation and you might have a good ability or maybe you've seen you've pretty much seen the airline industry grow into what it is now. 
How do you view the the future of aviation? How do you view the future of hiring, the future of airlines, the future of all that? What do you think that process is going to turn itself into? Do you think it's going to be more of a, of a flow type thing that they have going on now? Or do you still see hiring off the street and the hiring practices? How do you see that? Well, it certainly looks like, you know, there's a pilot shortage. And, you know, it certainly looks like the flow through is something that that's going to be looked at very, very carefully. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, the military pilots um, will will always be welcomed, you know, off the street, if you will. Uh, this industry can can change. I mean, the whole world changes, you know, in a heartbeat. And, um, you know, we weathered the storm after 9-11. I was flying back on 9-11 from D.C. just having uh, – thrown a 50th wedding anniversary for my parents. And I was looking, I was sitting on the airplane looking at our calendar for the month and we had probably 200 clients on the books for September. And we all know what happened. And we went from 200 clients to zero clients and everything stopped. And, you know, we weathered the storm. I wrote a book called The Resilient Pilot, which um, I just printed and published on my own. Uh, but it was, you know, how do you weather the storm that that we're in right now uh, until you can get back in the cockpit? And, uh, you know, a lot of people had to do a lot of odd jobs to keep themselves afloat. Um, you know, I can't predict the future, but um, things hopefully will will go well and this will continue to be a really good career field uh for you know years and years and years to come well i think we've had a pretty extensive uh conversation i would um ask people to come to our website which is cageconsulting.com and within probably by the end of january we will have our new format up uh and, and again, this is a, a new format of how we present the information. We're not changing any of the information. So if people have appointments with us now, they're getting the same the same process. But I do think that this is going to be uh, an interesting uh, kind of change. And I hope people will will take some time. We're going to have a little marketing video there that uh, that shows me kind of walking people through what the process is. Um, so we're, we're going to have a lot of interesting changes over the next year. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 91 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Like I said earlier, leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. Special shout out to Ernie Harris, Patreon of the week. Thank you, man. I appreciate all the support. And also go to our website, pilot the pilot HQ at gmo.com. If you would like to be on the podcast or you know someone that should be on the podcast, email me, pilot the pilot HQ at gmo.com, and we will try to get it scheduled, try to get it figured out. We have some exciting podcasts coming up in the future and 2020 is starting off great. Aviation Nation, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and as always, happy flying.